was just talking with my television friends and thinking about uh, many different ways of saying I love you. Singing is one of my ways of saying I love you. Oh, I know that. Do you have time to, uh, to give a song to my friend and me? I sure do. There are many ways to say I love you. There are many ways to say I care about you. Many ways, many ways, many ways to say I love you. There's the singing way to say I love you. There's the singing something someone really likes to hear. The singing way, the singing way, the singing way to say I love you. Cleaning up a room can say I love you. Mm -hmm. Hanging up your coat before you're asked to do it. Drawing special pictures for the holidays and making plays. You'll find many ways to say I love you. You'll find many ways to understand what love is. Many ways, many ways, many ways to say I love you. I'm so proud of you, Francois. Oh, thank you, Fred. I like being a human being right here and now. Well, I guess I'm going to have to get back to work. Uh, I always like it whenever you have time to, to visit with us. Thank Can I help you, you here? Thank you. All right. Well, good morning, church family, and welcome to Mr. Randy's pulpit, okay? So we're glad you're here, and uh, that is a powerful uh, video to really set up our beatitude for today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So for 25 years, Francois Clemens... Um, uh, played the role of Officer Clemens on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Fred Rogers met Francois Clemens at church, at a church service. He heard him sing, and after church he said, I want you to come and be on my program, and I would like for you to play the role of a police officer. Francois Clemens said, thank you, no, um, he resisted, and this is what he said. Uh, Francois said, I grew up in the ghetto. I did not have a positive opinion of police officers. Policemen were sicking police dogs and water hoses on people, and I really had a hard time putting myself in that role. I was not excited about being Officer Clemens at all, but uh, he agreed, and he joined the program in 1968. 1968. So what we saw was 25 years after he joined the program, a 1993 repeat okay, a, 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 of a 1969 episode. Does that make sense? Joined in 68, 
originally did that number, pool and all, in 69, and then he stayed on the show till 1993. And now think about this for just a moment, all right? Uh, so the original scene taking place in 69, the year before, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot. Racial tensions, high. Francois says, uh, Fred invited me to come over and rest my feet in the water with him. Fred was not only showing my brown skin in the tub with his white skin as two friends, but as I was getting out of the tub, he was helping me dry my feet, echoing John 13 in the washing of the disciples' feet. And then, and that's not a reach, uh, as I'll explain in just a moment. Then Francois saw Fred Rogers hang up his sweater at the conclusion of this program, and then uh, heard Fred speak those words that he spoke all the time. Um, you make every day special uh, by just being you. I like you just the way you are. But this time, Fred was looking right at Francois when he said those words. And afterwards, Francois asked, uh, Fred, are, were you talking to me? And Fred Rogers said, Yes, I've been talking to you for years, but today you heard me. And um, Francois says that was one of the most meaningful experiences that I've ever had. Um, so there you have two peacemakers in that episode. Um, Francois, uh, who... Um, a Grammy, a Grammy-winning vocalist uh, in opera and spirituals. Uh, received his master's degree from Carnegie Mellon, his doctorate from Middlebury, um, Lifetime Achievement Award from Carnegie, uh, the first African-American to have a recurring role in a majority race culture children's series, um, and he plays a policeman that is a representative of law which was not an easy thing for Clemens to do, given how police officers uh, were viewed in his own neighborhood as the oppressive other, um, and at the same time, racial tensions in the culture caused Francois to be viewed as the other to whites. You understand what I mean when I talk about the other? When we want to justify our prejudices, we tend to other eyes individuals or groups to try to justify ourselves. And so here you have these two others uh, combined into a single character, and in doing so, a wall was broken down through this poetic act of peacemaking uh, that uh, Francois uh, um, made himself available to, and in doing so, became a peacemaker. Um, and Fred Rogers... Uh, was a committed Christian, and did you know that he was an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church? And so he was coming from a place of conviction about what the Christian faith says about human identity. Not that we just ought to love our neighbor, the other, but that through the symbolic waters of baptism, those symbolic waters clean more than just one's feet. And thus, you are not who others see you to be. You are not what the law condemns you to be. You're not even who you see yourself as. Rather, 
You are who God sees you to be. A forgiven sinner, a child of God, a son, a daughter in whom he is well pleased. And all of this is taking place on the vocational stage, you see. This is where Fred Rogers worked. It's not happening at church or a Bible study or religious service. It's happening at work. See, peacemaking needs to play at the office where we spend much of our lives. Can there, any, can there be anything more practical or applicable than this? Where we spend a chunk of our lives, practical application of peacemaking. Listen, if peacemaking can only occur at church, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Very practical, very applicable, where we are today. Now, in our study over the Beatitudes, we've been learning, have we not, that the Beatitudes are not just another to-do list. It's not like Jesus coming down off the mountain with an updated set of you know, commandments. You know, Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and now here in the New Testament, Jesus is coming down to the mountain with a kind of a new set of commandments. That's not what this is. The Beatitudes are not about getting God's blessing by performing certain deeds. The Beatitudes are rather eight hallmarks of grace. And we're not talking about eight different people in these Beatitudes. We're talking about hallmarks of grace. Eight of them given to each of us who follow the rule of Christ. Those of us whose lives have been claimed by Jesus. He is working his spirit through us to produce hallmarks of grace. These beatitudes are unearned blessings that befall those who freely follow the rule of Christ. So we're not talking about someone who earns the title of sonship through the effort of peacemaking. We're talking about someone through whom God's own spirit is producing these, these heavenly qualities of love and life. And so, in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5, we learn that the point of the Beatitudes is not merely that God wants to do something to us, but rather God wants to do something through us, to our world, to our community, to those whom God has given us. God sharing his peace through us. So what I want us to do this morning as we consider Matthew chapter 5, 9, is I want us to, uh, first of all, you know, define what peacemaking is. What is a peacemaker? What are we talking about? What's Jesus mean when he uh, gives us these words in Matthew 5, 9? And, and, and why does he connect the identity of sonship to the ministry of peacemaking. I want to talk about that this morning as well. And then, then before we share in this time of Holy Communion, we'll remember the ultimate peacemaker and what he did so that through him and with him and by him, 
we can do to others. All right? So that's where we're going this morning. First, what is peacemaking? Well, it, when we think about this particular beatitude, it's important to know what Jesus is not saying. Um, a peacemaker is not an avoider who walks on eggshells around others just to escape conflict. A peacemaker is not a pretender either. So the peacemaker doesn't pretend that, you know, the elephant's not in the room or that they're really in a problem. The peacemaker confronts the brutal facts of the current reality. And neither is a peacemaker an appeaser who, who violates either biblical truth or personal conscience just to avoid the awkwardness. That's not what peacemaking is. And a peacemaker is not a minimizer who downplays truth, even to the point of telling others what they want to hear. Uh, this shows up in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14, where the prophet Jeremiah quotes of the Lord, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So peacemaking is not avoiding or pretending or appeasing or minimizing. None of these constitute peacemaking. Rather, here it is. Peacemakers take initiative. Peacemakers take initiative to reconcile relationships in the name of Christ. That's what peacemaking is. Peacemakers take initiative to reconcile relationships in the name of Christ. So there's two parts to that. Let's take the first part. Peacemakers take initiative to reconcile relationships. Peacemakers don't procrastinate. Peacemakers don't postpone or put off the necessity of reconciliation. There's nothing passive or placid about peacemaking. Peacemakers take initiative. And Jesus explains what he means by taking initiative if we'll only just continue reading in Matthew chapter 5. He explains initiative. If you go to Matthew 5 verses 23 to 26, uh, you'll see two examples, two small parables. The, there's a parable of worship, and then there's a parable of uh, in a court of law. So in worship, that's the first parable in Matthew 5, 23. Uh, you're in a worship service. We're in a worship service. And you're about to offer your gift. You're about to offer your tithe. Um, so as a part of our worship service later on, we will have a time of receiving offerings. And, and uh, our uh, guest hosts will come and they will distribute uh, the offering plates and you have an opportunity to give to the Lord. And so you're prepared to do that. And in worship, you're getting ready to give your tithe, and then you remember that there's someone with whom you need to reconcile. Jesus says, leave your gift, meaning don't give it yet. Now, when have you ever heard a pastor say that? Huh? Well, you just did. Because Jesus did, you see. If you're offering your gift at the altar, verse 23, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So, peace first, offering later. See? And then uh, Jesus tells a little parable of the court of law. Verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, to settle with your adversary as soon as you can. 
Because it may not turn out the way you'd like for it to turn out if a higher authority has to be brought in. Verses 25 and 26, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. Well, you never thought that was going to happen when you brought that person to court and settled. You thought it was going to handle your way. That doesn't always happen your way, does it? Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny, verse 26. We need to hear this because our, our society is so litigious and our attitude is, well, I'm going to sue or I'll see you in court. And, and listen, you know, the intent of our legal courts, yes, it is to render due process and impartial justice, but the courts cannot address matters of the heart, bitterness, Anger, resentment. Yes, yes, the courts are meant to settle legal issues more so than reconciling relationships. Jesus says, I want relationships to be reconciled in, in a court of grace and mercy and love. You make this happen, Jesus says. So Jesus did not say, blessed are those who prefer peace, wish for peace, await peace, love peace, or praise peace. His blessing is on the makers of peace. So take action, Christ says. Take action. Question. Are you at peace with people in your life? As far as it depends on you? Anybody you need to take initiative to reconcile? You need to hold the offering? You know, even if the act of initiative is, let's set up a time to talk. Where are you in this? Peacemakers, take initiative. I'm going to wait till they come to me. That's not what Jesus said. Well, they offended me. That's not what Jesus said. You go to them. Later on in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus will say, if your brother sins against you, you go to him. Well, which is it? Both. Both. You see the wisdom of that, don't you? In humility, one comes to the other's house, and the other comes to the other's house, and they meet together on the way to each other's house. In humility, making peace. Peacemakers take initiative to reconcile relationships. In the name of Christ. In the name of Christ. That's the second part. And that's why we see the phrase, for they shall be called sons of God. For they shall be called sons of God. Jesus is speaking to both men and women here. Now, if Jesus were speaking to a 21st century American crowd, he would have used either sons and daughters of God or children of God. He's speaking to a first century Hebrew culture. And he's applying the blessings of sonship to both genders in a way that was not typical in his culture, you see. So that really makes this powerful. For sonship is the Hebrew way of saying 
to bear the likeness of, to bear the image of, to be an heir of. Sonship is adoption. And Jesus says that his followers have been adopted into his father's family. And as a result of that adoption, there is a likeness which makes it only natural to do what the father does. Now, I got to tell you this right now. I didn't have this in my notes, but I'm going to go off road here for a minute. You think your mind wonders when I preach. My mind wonders when I preach. So, like, right about now, right about now, I mean, like, right now, at, at you know, 11, 19, so my son, Benjamin, uh, my son, Benjamin, our daughter-in-law, Ablaza, and our granddaughter, Audrey, attend a Cornerstone Church in Urbana. And so, the a pastor is uh, out of the pulpit this Sunday, and so asked Ben to preach. So right now, there are two bolting houses preaching. So, huh? Isn't that cool? So someone, yeah, God be praised. Yes. And so, so, so someone is hearing a good message from a bolting house uh, somewhere today. So anyway, but uh, so my point is in the likeness of. And so our God is a peacemaker, and so we have been adopted into his family. We belong to him. And so we are in his likeness. And therefore, you know, we have now his nature. Living like the father. And doing what the father does. And in this case, it is peacemaking. And that's why I said earlier that this beatitude, really like the other beatitudes, is not so much what God wants to do to us, but what he wants to do through us. Extend the blessing of his peace to the world through us. And so sonship and peacemaking go together because identity and ministry go together. Doing a God-assigned ministry requires a God-given identity. And that is so important to remember as we consider the task, the painstaking task, the often misunderstood task, the emotionally taxing task of peacemaking. See, we do this as a representative of the king, which makes it not about us. Peacemaking makes it about identifying and imitating our heavenly father. And really, that's critical. Because when you're in a peacemaking situation, it's so easy to make the issue, my being right. My being right. My being recognized as right. And my being recognized as the right one. My rightness being glorified. So, and once that becomes the issue, well then, a conflict is really going to get out of hand. But peacemakers need to serve out of their identity in Christ. So I'm not representing myself. I'm free from self-interest, free from self-concern, free from self-centeredness. 
And as long as I'm thinking about myself and shielding myself and protecting myself, I'm not going to be able to help those whom God has sent me to serve. So I'm not going to be belaboring the question, well, what's due to me? And when am I going to get what's mine? And when am I going to get my apology and my appreciation, my recognition of rightness, you see? It's not about you. You're a peacemaker. Your identity is in the King, is in Christ. So that view of yourself in Christ is so important. It protects you from, it protects you, from you. But I'll tell you what else. It really helps you serve others when you understand your identity. Because you see, when the peacemaker comes between two parties, and you're helping to resolve a conflict, and one of the parties is really being difficult and cantankerous and extra grace required, the peacemaker doesn't fly off at the handle. What's the matter with you? The peacemaker knows what the matter is. The peacemaker knows that this person is like that because they're still being governed by the God of this world. This poor person is still under the victim of the evil one's influence. I therefore must have mercy on that person. And that's going to help me minister peace. So, so, so being in Christ gives me a better view of who I am, a better view of who others are, but it will also give me a greater, grander vision of God. See, what's the biggest issue in any peacemaking situation? See, the world would say, well, figure out who's right and punish who's wrong. That's not the biggest concern according to our Heavenly Father. The biggest concern is Will this situation embarrass the king? Will the handling of this situation embarrass the king? See, if I do not glorify God in this peacemaking situation, I'm going to glorify somebody else and probably my, myself, my ego. And so in any peacemaking scenario, I will either show that I have a big God or a big ego. So the question is, how can I best represent Christ in this situation? This is otherworldly talk. But what did you expect from an otherworldly king? In God's eyes right now, church family, right now, from God's point of view, what we have in this room right, right now is not a crowd of disconnected Christians who come in and listen to music and a God talk and then disperse until next, next week. God says we're a family. We are a spirit-filled community of brothers and sisters related to one another by the blood of our elder brother, Jesus Christ, who is our king. And that reality, more than anything else, needs to set the tone for the peacemaking meetings, the inevitable peacemaking meetings that will come our way. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, for they shall be called Sons of God, do you know who you are? Well, I want to answer a question that if I don't talk about it now, 
I'll probably get it in the fireside room. And it goes something like this. Pastor, so you say that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. That's what I said. You heard that correctly. So then why, pastor, does Jesus say just a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus' own words, red letters, I see it, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Will you please explain that, pastor? I'll get that over there if I don't explain it here. So why don't I explain it here? And it's a great question. And it, it stumped me. I needed to do some homework on that. That is a good question. It's a fair question. And what we need to do is look at the context of that particular verse. And if you look at the context of that verse in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34, 35, 36. So Jesus is, Jesus is talking about our loyalties and our allegiances. Jesus is saying that because of his kingdom, people are going to have to choose their loyalties. So in verse 35, I've, not, I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and who, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So even families have their loyalties. And when Jesus uses the word sword, he's using it as a word picture, as a metaphor. It's the sword of decision. It's decision time. The English word decide comes from a word that means to cut out, to section this, cut this out, and, and claim this. Jesus is not offering a slightly improved version of the world we already have. Christianity is not, well, your family and Jesus, and your job and Jesus. He doesn't want to be an appendage to your life. He wants to rule your life. He's the king with a kingdom and a platform, and a way of doing life, explained in the Sermon on the Mount. And that means every one of us are going to have to make a decision whether or not we're going to accept Jesus and accept his rule. Now, you can accept Jesus in one of two ways. One way is to invite him to, in, to join the committee of your heart. In your heart, you've got a committee. You've got your social self, you've got your work self, you've got your recreational self, you've got your religious self, you've got your family self, you've got your social media self, you've got all these selves around the table. And one way is to invite him onto the committee of all these selves and give him a vote too. But then you see, he just becomes one more complication if you accept him in that way. And that is not what he wants. What he wants to do is to come in to your heart and fire the committee and take charge every last one of those voices he wants us to say to him lord i hand myself to you i'm your responsibility now please run my whole life for me accepting jesus is not just a matter of adding him to your life it's a matter of subtracting all the other idols competing for his rule 
And that's why he puts it so strongly. <laughs> and so graphically. For on that Palm Sunday, Christ entered Jerusalem as the royal peacemaker. As the king of peace. His entry on the foal of a donkey was a sign. He didn't ride on the foal of that donkey because there wasn't another animal available. He specifically rode on that particular animal. Why? Because he was telling the people, I am Zechariah's prophesied king. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and he shall speak peace to the nations. And his words of peace echoed on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, I commend my spirit into your hands. Father, it is finished. His rule should be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus was saying on that Palm Sunday, I am Zechariah's prophesied king. I have come to build my kingdom which will one day cover the ends of the earth. Don't you see? Peace is not a political party. Peace is not a principle. Peace is a person. Peace is Christ himself. Christ who heals. Christ who forgives. Christ who breaks down the wall between ourselves and God and ourselves and one another. Christ initiated peace to the very people who were in rebellion against him. And on the cross, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and disarmed the evil one. And he did this to make us his peacemakers. You can't make yourself a peacemaker any more than you can make yourself a child of God. To be a peacemaker means that you have come to God's peace through Christ's violent death. And through faith in his death and resurrection, Christ transforms enemies into heirs. And he wants to continue his peacemaking work through us. Through us. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. Not we apostles or we elders or we deacons or we clergy we believers are ambassadors for christ god making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of christ be reconciled to god i want us to think about what it means to become a church community of initiative taking peacemakers going out of our way to bring peace into whatever room we enter. Think about it. When you walk into a room, is that room calmer because you're there than you know, it was before you came? So Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What follows you when you leave a room? Huh. Is it goodness and mercy and peace or is it just 
turmoil. I'm not, well, I just like to be a pot stirrer. Well, read your Bible, pot stirrer. Repent. What if our congregation served our community by bringing peace? And, and you see what Jesus is teaching us about peacemaking? Peacemaking is not just for crisis situations. Peacemaking is not just another negotiating tool. Peacemaking is not even just another tool of ministry. Peacemaking is not something we do. It's who we are. It's, it's, peacemaking is evidence of the Spirit of Christ in our lives. And so when we enter a room, it's just not that we enter a room because we are sons and daughters of the Father. And because the Holy Spirit dwells, the Holy Spirit enters a room. And the Spirit brings peace. <laughs> that's practical. That's applicable. I mean, that needs to take place, like, all the time. So, is there a relationship that you could enter that would bring peace by your presence? In other words, where is God calling you to act as a peacemaker, to take initiative as a peacemaker? To be a blessing. Who needs to be blessed? Who needs the blessing of God through you today, right now? Francis Chan is a pastor and author, and uh, I'll leave you with this quote. He once said, live your life in such a way that it demands an explanation. Does your life demand an explanation? Do you live in such a way that the things you do can only be explained by faith in God? If not, why not? Or are you just like everybody else? And then just saying that we're Christian. So where's the faith in that? Peacemakers live in such a way as to demand an explanation. Church family, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Church family, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Church family, if possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. So here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to give you the opportunity to continue your worship with the King of Peace by remembering these symbols of salvation that He has left for us. And if you're new here at Windsor, don't feel like you need to be a member of this church to share in a time of communion. If you claim Jesus is your King, then these symbols of salvation are for you. But I really want to challenge you. If you need to make peace with someone, if you need to make peace with someone, even if it means just saying, can we just set up a time to talk? If you need to do that, communion can wait. The offering can wait. Okay? You go make peace. You make peace first. And then you come. Come.